In today's episode, I sit down with Charles Wu from Chaitiva. Charles's name might sound familiar, and that's because he was recently on the Chillinois podcast. If you go to episode number 295 of the Chillinois podcast, you can see his most recent appearance. In that appearance, we talked about the most recent legislative push to try and regulate hemp in Illinois. We'll be continuing that discussion today. Before I send you into this discussion, which was recorded on July 14th, 2023, I wanted to make a, a point that I wasn't able to get Charles to acknowledge on air. A lot of the products that he sells in his stores are arguably the exact same thing or very similar to what can be found in the dispensaries in Illinois. I bought these two products, for example, THCA flower. And for all intents and purposes, it's just like cannabis you can find in the store. Watch. When I smoke it, it gets me high. What's the difference, though? How is Charles able to legally sell this product in his stores? Well, first of all, Charles is not the only one. And Charles is not, I wouldn't say he has a particular focus on THCA. He offers a wide variety of cannabinoids. But THCA really stands out to me because, like I say, this product that I have in my hands right now is is basically exactly what you would find in a dispensary. But before I put some proof into the pudding on that, let's talk about why you might be familiar with THCA. What is THCA? Well, first, you might be familiar with THCA because Cookies, a really popular cannabis brand, has started mail ordering THCA products. So I'm displaying their website right now. We'll see how long this stays up. THCA.cookies.co. So as you can see, you can buy several varieties of THCA products, including flour, which is what I bought from Chaitiva. You can buy pre-rolls, which is also flour. Vapes will be coming soon. Concentrates, gummies, hard candies, chocolates, and even beverages, right? And it's all legal and it's shipping to many states that you wouldn't think are legal, but technically hemp is legal. So that segues into what is THCA flour or THCA products. Well, technically speaking, it's hemp. What is hemp? Well, hemp is cannabis, and cannabis is the plant that we all love. But because we're stupid in the United States, we've created a legal distinction between products well, between the plant, and it's it's completely arbitrary. And if you'd like a little bit more proof to the pudding of our kind of classification of cannabis and hemp being arbitrary, I recommend that you check out episode number 321 featuring a faculty member from Southern Illinois University. His name is Daniel Silver, and he talks about how hemp was – the definition of hemp was created and how it really seems to be arbitrary. What am I referring to with with arbitrary? Well, hemp is defined as any cannabis that has 3% of THC in it. I, I believe that's how it works. So under 0.3% THC. Um, I get a little confused on this because, you know, in statistics, I, I was taught that 3% is 0.03 and 30% is 03 
but th- sometimes I see this displayed as 0.3%. Sometimes I see it just, you know, people talk about it as 3% of the dry product can be THC. Sometimes I see it written as 0.03% uh, or 0.03. It's very unclear to me, but it seems to be some number with three in it. It's a low number. And, and so I'm adding this clip in after I recorded this entire podcast, like this segment specifically, because the fact that I was unable to like be clear about whether it was 0.03% or 0.3% really bothered me. From what I'm able to tell, and I'm just going to use the easiest source I can from Cookie's website that I display in this podcast. They cite the 2018 Farm Bill as saying the term hemp means the cannabis means the plant, cannabis sativa L, and any part of that plant, including the seeds thereof and all derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, acids, salts, and salts of isomers, whether growing or not, with a delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol concentration of not more than. 0.3% on a dry weight basis. So, and when I Google 0.3% THC, they all the sources on Google say that that is what the definition of hemp is. So, I want to state it clearly. It is 0.3%. I think the reason I get confused is because when I hear people say 3% as a decimal, I think 0.03, but the legal definition is 0.3%. And uh, once again, if you'd like a little bit of history into why that is the way that it is, we recently sat down with a faculty member at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale to talk about this exact subject. Once again, that episode is number 321 of the Chillinois podcast featuring Daniel Silver. Enjoy the rest of the episode and please ignore uh when I say 0.03 or whatever else I might say, the bottom line is the definition of hemp from the farm bill as I read it is 0.3% THC. Enjoy the rest of the episode. The idea is if I could do it visually, it's like if you're above the 0.3, then you're illegal. You're cannabis. You could get high off of it. So it's illegal, right? Um, If it's under 0.3%, can't uh thc then it is hemp we have a legal definition for what is hemp and what is not hemp as i understand it the farm bill originally legalized hemp in 2014 it was also updated in 2018 and ultimately i believe whatever happened in 2018 ultimately kind of opened up the door uh, to what we're seeing today which is a lot of these alternative cannabinoids becoming very popular THCA is one you don't hear a lot about. Uh, I believe it's becoming more popular. Mostly you hear about Delta 8, or you might be very familiar with CBD. There was a huge CBD trend. Fucking family video became a CBD dispensary, essentially. Uh, Maybe that's an anecdotal experience for me. But the point I'm trying to make is it seemed like everywhere started selling CBD. Literally, my buddy's grandma started selling CBD. That sounds like it's like a joke, like everybody and my buddy's grandma. But no, literally, my buddy's grandma started selling CBD. The gas station sold CBD. And why did this all happen? Well, because we defined what is hemp and what is not. And again, it's it's seemingly very arbitrary. And I just want to kind of correct something that I said earlier. 
again, you would think that because technically this product has 0.3 or 3 or 0.03, whatever the fucking number is, that's that's what this product has. That's why it's able to be legally sold in a store like Chaitiva or online through mail order by cookies. It has less than the amount of THC, which legally makes it hemp. So this product is apparently hemp. And so the point I'm trying to make ultimately, again, I don't know if I already said this, but these products are extremely similar to what you will find in the dispensary. And just to kind of prove my point, I'm going to take a look at, I already took a look at a dispensary menu and I picked out a number of products that uh, would legally qualify as hemp. And I found other products that are just damn close and so again, these are at dispensaries in Illinois. Let's look at the first product that I found. It's acai mints by Grassroots. And as you can see, it's got 0.01% THC. That's hemp. Now, what's funny is, I, I, again, I wanted to correct something I said earlier. You will get high by consuming this product or consuming the product that I've that I'm showing you here. You, you will get high. So what happens is THCA turns into THC. Right. So this has 0.01% THC. This product by I don't even know who, banana pudentane flour, 0.01% THC. This Interstate 420, which I recognize as a new era cannabis brand, or maybe it's IESO since they're partnering now, this has 0.01% THC. This is hemp, but it's sold in a cannabis dispensary. The point I'm making is these companies could sell it at the gas station if they wanted to. If they wanted to. And if you wanted to. Here's another one that, that's pushing the limit. Landslide flower, 0.34%. So that one's pushing it. I think that is technically over the limit. Here's another one that's close. 90, uh, 93 boys, Jet Fuel OG. This is basically hemp. This is another one that I found surprising. This is supposed to be, uh, you know, Cresco's craft cannabis. You'd think that it would be a little bit more, quote unquote, mature. And you can always expect a beautifully manicured bud harvested right off the vine. Um, it's push, It's getting really close to hemp territory. Um, here's another one by 93 Boys that's really close to being hemp. And then uh, another one from Floracal, a Cresco product, very close to being hemp. And this one's a little bit further away from being hemp, but still really goddamn close. Um, you know, if if they wanted to, they probably could have just harvested it, harvested it a little bit earlier, and they could have sold it as hemp. That's not necessarily their business model, of course. The, the reason they're not selling it as hemp because uh, good luck charging, you know, those prices for hemp. Well, I say that, let's take a look at what cookies is is charging for their hemp. Now, this is this might be boutique hemp. You might actually get better deals from other hemp suppliers, but let's just take a look. Oh. It's out of stock. Well, I think yeah, that's good for them. Out of stock. Do we got an eighth? Can you just show me? It looks like maybe an eighth would be 50 bucks. So, uh, you know, that makes sense. Cookies is selling it for the same price that they sell it in legal markets. And what you'll notice is that they're not really selling in any of the states that I think they have a large presence in. I mean, they might be in Colorado, but and I'm pretty sure they're in Nevada. 
Um, but I feel like the places they are and aren't selling their products are very strategic. Um, I don't know. That's just me speculating though. Anyways, what you're about to watch is my conversation with, with Charles from Chitiva. Again, um, the point in getting into all of that was not to get anybody like Charles in trouble. It's actually to empower others to join, join the movement. If you can do this, why the hell aren't you? Uh, open up your storefront and start selling these products. Look, I, I showed you, I think, about five products that looked like, from what I can tell, they were hemp or close to it. Why can't you do that? I mean, you could. And that's kind of one of the points that Charles makes in today's conversation. I hope you find value in this conversation. Once again, it was recorded on July 14th, 2023. Enjoy. Well, I'm here at Chai Tiva right now trying, uh, it's the flight of your slushies, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The rainbow flight. The rainbow flight. And it's tasty, folks. It's really tasty. I like that I can just get the slightest hint of cannabis. Oh, you can get you can taste the slightest. Bit, yeah. But I know that when I taste that a bit, I know I'm going to feel something. Nice. Yeah. yeah, it's very nice though. Well, hey, reintroduce yourself for folks that don't know you. You were recently on, but in case yeah. folks missed it. Great. Thanks for having me again. Uh, my name's Charles, and I'm the principal and the guy behind uh, Shai Tiva. We're a hemp-derived cannabinoid uh, cafe concept. Uh, we currently have two locations in the Chicagoland area, one in Wicker Park, which is where we're at, uh, one in the southwest suburbs, and we're currently in the process of opening over in the next 60 to 90 days uh, two more locations. One will be in the South Loop uh, near Grant Park, and the other will be in the West Loop in the Fulton Market area. Nice. So you're going to be all over the city. I think that blue one's my favorite so You like far. the Blue Dream? Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, cool. Yeah. For folks that didn't get what you just said... I want to put it out there more clearly. You can legally purchase cannabinoids at Chitiva. Like it's a le- it's a legal high. Like I'm going to get high off of this. So I thought it'd be <laughs> good yeah, to lay I mean, it I mean there. there's it's not just getting high, right? You can the cannabis plant has a variety of cannabinoids and the main thing that separates uh, industrial hemp from marijuana is a compound called delta 9 THC. And as long as the plant has less than 0.3% delta-9 THC by dry weight, right. it's, uh, it's industrial hemp. Right. Now, what we can do or what we do, you know, most people just think the whole world's THC and they think everything non-THC is CBD. Yeah. But outside of just delta-9 THC, there's delta-8 THC, delta-10, THCV, mm-hmm. THCA. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. So we're able to extract all these other what termed minor cannabinoids uh, from the plant. Yeah. And even in some cases, uh, we also extract delta-9 THC. And then the main thing is we have to make sure that the end product has less than 0.3% right. delta-9 THC and everything like that. So we can create all sorts of interesting cocktails, uh, infuse them into baked goods, infuse them into food service items and everything on that front. Yeah. And that's really exciting. In many ways, the market's fascinating because since we're legally industrial hemp, 
it's an agricultural byproduct. Yeah. So this is no different than going to Jamba Juice and getting some ginseng extract or monk fruit extract or, you know, you name it on that side, maybe a B12 supplement Yeah. on that front, right? So we're doing this with all the minor cannabinoids. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, uh, this, you know, I'm trying your rainbow slushy flight right now, but you've got more than that. You've got the flower you've, and we'll show it in the B roll. I'll have footage right now, but you've got flour, you've got pastries, say some other things maybe. I'm oh missing. yeah. I mean, you know, we're really well known for our, uh, I guess you can call them edibles, but really it's the pastries. Uh, our chef here has actually won a James Beard award for chocolate. So the guy is just phenomenal. And uh, hopefully it'll come up, you know, when you stay later for our muffin tasting. We're trying out about five or six new muffin flavors, right? Everyone loves blueberry, but we want to kind of switch it up. So, well, you'll see in the pictures. They look amazing. Yes. And everything on that side. So, yeah, we love to do fun things. And really what this is about is I, I like to look at it as, you know, we're still in the early stages of legalization in cannabis. And you know, the MSOs have done a decent job with Delta 9, but that's just, like, imagine if, like, the entire world of alcohol was just vodka. Right. There are some days where vodka's great, but sometimes I want, you know, a lighter feel, maybe rum, maybe I want a spirit, maybe I want a heavier feel, like a whiskey. Yeah. You know, there's all these sorts of things, and even you go to the cannabinoids, right? You know, you go THCA, Delta 8, Delta 10, THCV. I mean, there's all these different effects that one can get. You know, it's not always just let me get high and euphoric. Yeah. Maybe I want like a little milder buzz. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want the stress relief or the pain relief on the body without getting the paranoia in the head. Yeah. You know, like, like there's all these different things that are still to be discovered. So mm -hmm. we aim to offer all those effects and let people enjoy them in a fun and communal type environment. So it's not like you're getting detention to go pick up your package. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, I just heard you talking about the omnibus process, and I just wanted, that's one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, we've, we've discussed it, but there has been, I feel like, uh, a bit of an addition to the language I've heard uh, with regard to people that are leading these proposals. So last I spoke to you, and I think the people from like the Illinois Hemp Growers Association, they were saying, here's what we can get down with age requirements, which is something you do right up front. You ask people for their IDs. Mm -hmm. Testing, it's something that's offered for all your products. Mm -hmm. Labeling, all your products are labeled. Mm -hmm. And then we basically agreed, like, that's it. Well, I've recently heard, like, LaShawn Ford and uh, somebody that you know you actually introduced me to. I had Glenn McElfrish on the show. Oh, nice. And they both have made the point to talk about taxes and strict licensing. Um, they did clarify to me that by strict licensing, they did not mean limited licensing. Mm -hmm. And they, they simply meant that if people weren't conforming to those uh, regulations I was just listing off, that there'd be a punishment, yeah. right? That's what they meant by strict licensing, at least. That's what they told me. Um, the taxes thing, I, I get it. I don't necessarily agree with it. But what is your stance on the addition of those components to the uh, conversation here? Or do you have Well, anything? I mean, we're fans of... I guess I would, you can call it licensing. I would actually classify more as permitting. Okay, yeah. Right? So yeah. when I think license, I think there's a limited number. When I think permits, it's, you know, it's tomato, tomato, but yeah. a permit's something as if you follow the rules, if you comply, if you do these sorts of things, 
you can then play the game or you can be in business. Yes. And if you don't, you have repercussions right. that make it where you can't be in business or you have to remedy things. Yeah. So, I mean, me personally, I'm a believer, I guess, having always been an entrepreneur. I, how do I say this? I don't, it's not that I don't, that I love competition, but I think competition brings out the best in everybody and it creates those avenues for innovation and growth yes. and entrepreneurism, you know, you name it, right? So I want to, I'm a believer, I want permits. So it's not like I don't want barriers to entry, but it's more of as long as you can meet the requirements to play by the rules, right? Like start opening a restaurant. Yeah. I have to abide by food safety laws. I have to make sure that my people are trained. You know, there's a bunch of things that have to be done, right? It's, yeah. Or if I want to become a physician, I have to go and say, okay, well, I got to go to med school. I got to go to training. I go to residency. Or if I want to go to a lawyer, you know, I have to pass the bar. Those are permits, right? Because nothing, there's no limit. Or I, again, I don't know. Maybe there is. But from my understanding, as long as you satisfy the requirements and then you go past the bar, you can then practice law. Yeah. And then the market will uh, kind of differentiate, you know, who becomes a successful lawyer or not. And there's many lawyers who pass the bar that actually don't even practice yeah. because it just wasn't their thing. Yeah. So going back to call it, you know, what you mentioned that uh, Rep Ford talked about and Glenn discussed, I like a lot of those things because, you know, we've all seen whenever you have a new industry, there's always going to be bad actors, mm -hmm. right? People who maybe advertise products, maybe put too much stuff in them, maybe just cut corners and things like that. And we need permitting or we need standards so that things are safe, right? Imagine if food wasn't permitted, you'd have people, you know, serving four day old pizza and, yeah. you know, people would get sick, right? So we don't want those sorts of things going on. But so I'm, I'm a believer in those, you know, call it stringent requirements mm -hmm. to uh, protect public safety, to make sure that there's accurate labeling, to make sure that products are properly tested, and to ensure there's compu uh, consumer safety and good products for everyone out there. Yeah. Um, when it comes to limits, again, I think it should be available to anyone who's willing to give it a try yeah. and willing to abide by those uh, requirements. And we shouldn't, you know, it's not my place or I, I feel someone's place to like pick winners and losers. Let's let everyone get in and someone who innovates comes up with something great. And, you know, if they service a niche that isn't being serviced out there, you know, more power to them. And that's that's wonderful. Yeah. You know, to each their own. Now, when it comes to taxation, there really is really quick before taxation. Oh. It sounds like you have an abundance mindset where it's like there's enough for everybody versus folks that advocate for a limited license market where they have a scarcity mindset where they say, well, if there's too much for everybody, then the prices get too low and we can't make enough money. Would well, you agree with how I just kind yeah, of put I the mean, dichotomy there for you? I can see both sides of that. Yeah. Right. One of the benefit or one of the rationales for creating a scarcity type scenario was under the guise of, say, social equity, right? Correct. So you have someone Correct. who may not have access to resources, and if they can win a scarce license, then perhaps they can parlay that into a financing opportunity or an investment opportunity that they otherwise might not have gotten. Right. You know, I mean, and I understand that rationale. I think it's a little 
it's a little too uh, optimistic and then it kind of falls down in the real world, right? You look at right now, I mean, Illinois in terms of licenses on a per capita basis, it's still one of the most limited licenses out there. Yeah. And despite all that, out of the, what, it's been now it's almost two years, right? Since the 200 or so dispensary licenses got released and there's yeah. only 15 of them that are up and operational, even though they're all social equity. Right. I mean, the reality is anyone who really was social equity still can't attract the funding. And the ones that are existing are there not because they were social equity, but because they were people who might have gained the systems and actually are MSOs, Yeah. you know, funding social equity entities or, you know, on paper from that front. Yeah. So and I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, at the time it made a lot of sense and it's a good effort, but I think the market, you know, we tried that. That didn't work. Right. And the it's definition like, of insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over again yes. and hoping for different results. And like you say, there were good intentions behind it. And I've heard people talk about exactly what you said, but the time old saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And my, my biggest thing is I see the logic. You and I both see the logic and the limited licensing and how you could potentially give somebody who didn't have that opportunity an opportunity to gain inter intergenerational wealth. But the sinister thing about it all and my issue, my number one issue with the limited license market is how it's enforced. Like if you were to try to do quote unquote exactly what they're doing, they would throw the book at you. But since you're doing it under this like hemp, let's call it a loophole. I know you might disagree. Uh, it's federally legal. Yeah. That's so, why I way, yeah. way I look at it. The federal law is ahead of state law in this case. Um, but if you were to do what they do, they throw the book at, book at you just like they would have before 2019. And that is my main contention with limited licensing. It's like, it's not a permitting fee. It's like, well, you didn't have a permit, so we're going to give you a ticket. It's, you didn't have a permit, let's go to jail. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the repercussions are, yeah, they're pretty high. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it, it's not like you get a slap on the wrist. Right. You know, it's some pretty serious consequences yeah. for uh, being on the wrong side of... And we'll, we'll get back to being on the wrong side, uh, but I wanted to give you the opportunity and the space to talk about taxes because I cut you off and we got into limited Yeah, licensing. I mean, taxes just, it's a reality of life, right? Someone, if you're going to have regulations, if you're going to have these sorts of things there's work involved to maintain, track, and or enforce them, right? To police these regulations. So as a result, you need some sort of financing to make right. that happen. Yeah. And then there's other benefits or ramifications that are helpful. Like one of the nice things about uh, the cannabis tax is that some percentage of that revenue goes back to uh, help disadvantaged communities uh, it's the R3 program. And then an, another percentage of that revenue goes into a fund to provide technical assistance or loans or grants to qualified social equity type businesses. Yeah. So I don't see an issue with those sorts of things as long as we, you know, set those funds up. So, you know, because the question then is, well, if anyone get a permit, social equity uh, players will get edged out. And we definitely don't want that happening. You know, it's, it's just not good for anybody. So perhaps we implement a reasonable tax uh, instrument and then we uh, utilize some of those monies 
to give uh, social equity entrepreneurs a chance. Thank you. And then what happens though is it's not like it's a lottery where people are arbitrarily chosen. It's the most qualified social equity candidates who can kind of get through the process and rise to the top. They will then get the chance. And maybe it's a maybe it's a progress payment thing. You know, it's one of those things. I, I think it's important to recognize that we're still all learning and that there's lessons learned from every uh, attempt in every market. Yeah. So I feel Illinois's attempts at social equity, sure, it didn't work out and we can always point fingers, but it was a good attempt. And there's a lot of positives that came about from that. Now, cool. now there might be other types of uh, things that we can learn. And one of the things that I find interesting is in some other markets that quote unquote have, un, it's like unlimited but limited licenses. You look at say Michigan or Massachusetts, anyone could get started in the process. It was unlimited, but it was all about getting through to the end. Mm. And there were certain permit limits where maybe the town could only handle five of these establishments. So, you know, the first 20 can go at it. And if you get through each gate, you know, if you don't get through the gates in time, then, you know, it, you're out of luck yeah. on that front. And perhaps what you might do is you would tie social equity into that. Maybe they get preference in terms of passing through gates. Yeah. And then you can even uh, handle the funding or whatnot where, okay, well, we're not going to just give everyone a million bucks because there's not enough money to go around. But maybe to get through stage one, everyone gets $25,000. Mm-hmm. So that's enough to get you through stage one. And maybe you have to match it or raise a little bit more money to go. And then once you get past stage one, then for stage two, you know, there's another tranche and so forth. And I mean, I'm not a policymaker, so I don't have all these answers, but I'm sure there's ways to do that. Yeah. But to do that, one needs to have financing for that. And taxation is a method to uh, raise dollars to finance these sorts of programs to help the community through you know, reinvestments such as R3 or to help social equity enterprises get off the ground through grant programs, through, say, the DCEO or other statewide organizations that know what they're doing yeah. in regards to this. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for breaking that down. Um, I recently had Chris Berry from Illinois Hemp Growers Association on the show, and we were in a, a meeting with him together, and you had addressed some of the comments that he made. Would you be willing to kind of rephrase that, if you will? And my apologies, I just thought of it now, so for not jogging Yeah, you I said, mean, I, I don't recall the specific comments, so if you could refresh my memory. You made some comment about it was like, like maybe that he didn't fully address something and, and you mentioned like maybe it's being a bit too optimistic because there were connections at IDFPR with like a Verano, somebody, something or another. Um, do you, does that ring any bells? I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, if I'm trying to remember, one of the things that uh, Chris had said was he had followed the rules and he had followed the process and there was a feeling that things that were going on were unforward or slightly unfair is that i think that's maybe, it. yeah i think that's what we're yeah and i guess about. i mean i i don't I, I think i take a more practical and pragmatic view of the world 
And, you know, the example I give is maybe, right, we think we go before a judge for whatever issue one has, and we think the judge is some impartial arbiter of, you know, of the law. Mm -hmm. And you look at the Supreme Court right now, yes, they're all impartial, supposedly, or they are impartial arbiters, but behind these you know, stoic judges are human beings and human beings have their own, you know, a human being, we're the sum of all our experiences. So now this can be called gerrymandering or whatnot. A big thing of what's occurred is we want to get a Supreme Court justice who maybe is a Catholic or has more of a right-leaning background on the bench because then when they're looking at a thing such as abortion, yeah. maybe they will interpret it one way or another, and they might interpret it in a way that a conservative uh, population might like better than, say, a more progressive or a liberal population. So I think maybe what, and I, I don't remember the conversation, but one of the things that's important to remember is everyone we deal with, we're all people. Yeah. And... People have, I mean, everyone's smart, everyone cares, everyone's trying hard, but we all look at life through the lens of our experiences. Yeah. So perhaps, right, if I'm the, you know, if my mom was a drug addict versus if my mom was a holistic practitioner mm -hmm. that did functional medicine and used herbs or whatnot, or my mom was a religious you know, very devout religious person, I'm going to look at the concept of cannabis, regardless of what's presented to me, through a completely different perspective on that side. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that people often forget is whether it's our legislators, whether it's our government officials, whether it's judges, whether it's lawyers or whatnot, they, they're still people. Mm -hmm. And people are people, and they come from where they come from. And our history... And our personal relationships uh, will, will will change how we perceive something. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, on the Verano side, I mean, the reality here is many of these MSOs are, they employ a lot of people. They're successful people. And many successful people have relationships with political connections and everything on that side. So it's not surprising that perhaps someone's cousin or best friend or brother or whatnot maybe is employed or is a landlord of or you know the list goes on and on and then if there is that relationship in place when that person speaks because they're quote unquote in the trusted circle right it's human nature to kind of listen to that more intently and to understand their per and really kind of care more about their perspective than if some random person I'd never met in a suit comes to me and says, oh, well, these are the facts, so forth, so forth, and so forth. So it sounds like maybe that was like a reference towards some of the political maneuvering we had witnessed uh, leading up to that omnibus bill, which is like we saw the PR storm. It sounds like you were maybe referencing other conflicts of interest that exist yeah, I mean, it definitely was challenging, right? I think we had discussed this before. Yeah. And maybe when you go B-roll, you can go pull up uh, some of the articles. 
and some of the news things, but there was a very well orchestrated campaign where the same story, it was something where I think it was like four or five high school students um, basically went to a place and bought too much and had to go to the hospital, uh, which is truly unfortunate, and that should be stopped. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's unfortunate. Yeah. But that, was, that article was circulated and syndicated, and literally there were four or five versions of it that all came out all around the same time uh, that the omnibus was in the final, you know, the final moves. Yeah. Now, what's fascinating, and again, now this becomes conjecture, were they really trying to ban hemp? They probably were, but or were they trying to create enough of a storm where craft growers couldn't get to their 14,000 square feet or some of the other things in the omnibus bill that didn't happen? Because if you actually step back and look at the big picture, the MSOs got what they wanted. Yeah. So how could they have... Which is inaction and 280, I just have to say, because keeping the things as they are benefits them. So they... So perhaps what they looked at it was, you know, I mean, they were in a situation where it's heads I win, heads, you know, heads I win, tails you lose, right? So they're clearly not too thrilled about the hemp-derived cannabinoid industry because we represent competition. Yeah. You know, sure, they have vodka and not everything we have is exactly vodka, but, you know, we've got wine. And if you drink enough wine, you can get the same effect. And there's some people who are just tired and sick and tired of vodka, so maybe they want to go try some wine. You know, maybe a lighter feel or a more relaxing feel or a different yeah. feel, because that's just going to happen. And ultimately, some vodka sales, you know, may drop. Um, so, you know, now as the dust has settled, I might look at this as, hey, this is this is the best this is the best move, right? Because if the omnibus bill passes, I wipe out an entire industry of competition. Or if the omnibus bill doesn't pass, I prevent other competition, you know, craft growers from expanding, uh, I think medical patients being able to buy from recreational dispensers, you know, like these, yep. this whole list, even allowing the transportation industry to get started, you know, they'll just get delayed and it'll be status quo and life goes on. So if you look at it, it's actually a level, it's pretty brilliant Yeah. in terms of everything. I mean... They did good. They did well. Yeah, I mean, they. When you want to talk about efficiency, what better, what more efficient way than to set yourself up with two options that no matter what happens, you're like good yeah. with. Yeah, and then despite the whole thing going up in flames, they still found a way to pass what they really wanted. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't fault them. I mean, I actually respect. I respect them. Yeah, right? and they're the the logic they're going to use. By the way, with that 280e, is that they're benefiting you too when you get your license, then you'll be able to not have to pay into 280E. So they were looking out for you. Yeah, well, well, that's, <laughs> that's what, what they're, they're saying. Say. But right. the reality is you look at all the licenses that are out there and people who can get up and running, and you actually <laughs> yeah. have to be operational before you worry about taxes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And at this rate, no one else is going to be operational. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I know I asked you this time, uh, last time, but I just, it's like weird to sit here right now to know that if... If the omnibus bill would have passed and the Delta 8 crackdown did happen, you might not be sitting here. It would definitely be a different world. Yeah. The way I put it last time was they tried to make you into a criminal. Yeah. I mean, 
you've had time to think about that. Have you had any other thoughts come up with regard to that? Because, again, it's crazy. It, that goes back to the point I led with with limited licensing. They do view you as competition. What do we do with competition? Send our armed cronies after them. I mean... Get them off the street. What's the term? All's fair in love and war? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, end of the day, I guess, yeah. You just kind of have to laugh at it and stay at it. And, I mean, there is a reality that sans regulation we have made calculated risks to get in the market and do things. And, I mean, this is, I don't want to bring up another industry, but, you know, right now there's been some recent headlines around cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And if you look at it, some of the biggest cryptocurrency companies in the U.S., they're getting sued by the Security and Exchange Commission for money laundering and fraud and all this. And... You know, there's, I'm sure there's a side of, you know, we don't, I, I don't know, I know what's going on here, so we see the machinations, but maybe it's, you know, the big banks that are lobbying the SEC to put Ripple or Coinbase or some of these companies out of business Yeah. on that side. And, I mean, there was, it's, it's funny, you know, you talk about current events, there was just... I think it, there was a, just a recent judgment. I, have you ever heard of Ripple, or do you know what Ripple is? It's a, or? It's a crypto, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it's a cryptocurrency. Yeah. And uh, basically, a judge ruled that like, it wasn't a win for either party, but the SEC's been going after Ripple because they're claiming Ripple is an unregistered security. And Ripple's entire thing is that we're a utility, we're a commodity. Mm. And then there's this whole thing where it's like, okay, well, Bitcoin's a commodity, but... Some of these other things might be securities or we don't know. And the ruling came out where a certain segment of Ripple is a commodity and another segment of Ripple is a security. So they'll probably get fined in some way. But because that part is a commodity, the, I don't know if you call it a stock price, but the coin, the crypto price of Ripple basically doubled. And then some of these other exchanges like Coinbase, which was a fairly successful IPO from a couple of years back, you know, Coinbase is like the e-trade of cryptocurrencies. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, the idea of going online to buy stocks was kind of weird. And I'm sure e-trade got sued a few times. You know, Coinbase is getting sued by the SEC for being a brokerage of unregistered securities. And now it says, well, hey, if Ripple isn't a security, maybe some of these other things on Coinbase isn't a security and their stock price went up, you know, significantly also. Yeah. And it's all these sorts of things. I mean, you know, PayPal's another example. A lot of people don't realize this, but PayPal back in the day was money laundering. Mm-hmm. And they went in, built PayPal, knowing, I mean, they weren't breaking the law, but there was definitely a, probably a more liberal interpretation of the law, maybe in a similar way that, you know, hemp derived cannabinoids are a more liberal interpretation of the farm bill yeah you know what i mean i mean Mm -hmm. but you could even say the same thing heck i mean wi-fi wi-fi actually back in the day was in unregulated and unlicensed frequencies run by the fcc (laughs) and everyone thought wi-fi would get banned maybe it'll interfere with air radar and all that you know this was and i know about this because i was actually in that industry okay that's how i started my career as an entrepreneur and now you fast forward 20 years later, these quote unquote unlicensed or unregulated bands, some are actually regulated, and many of them are used 
for delivering you know, public safety, delivering critical internet services, telemedicine services, health services and everything to rural markets where you know, plowing landlines up to a lonely house on top of a 5,000 foot mountain right. just isn't practical because mm-hmm. of cost or crossing rivers or things like that. So sure. it's, it's one of those things where if you look at just innovation and time and just life, Every new industry has started in some sort of a gray area or a more liberal interpretation of the law. I mean, heck, I mean, I can go on and on, like Square, for example. Yeah. You know, I, I happen to have spent some time in fintech. The original way of how credit card processing works is a bank, need, it's like having a checking account. You know, the yeah. bank has to check the business out has to do due diligence, you have to cross T's, dot I's, they have to run, you know, money laundering checks and everything like that. And what Square did was they were one of the first people that said, we're gonna let someone get set up literally within minutes instead of taking the one week of underwriting that a bank and the 50 pages of stuff. And that was not legal back when Square started. But now what's happened is rules have been established saying, okay, well, Yes, if you're a small business, because otherwise you had all these peddlers and, you know, small businesses who just couldn't take credit cards. And because of that, they couldn't really create businesses. They couldn't get going, you know, the mom working out of her backyard or the trunk. You know, the cottage industry now has been able to grow because of this stuff. And as a result, laws have been written to allow for these sorts of things. And then what happens is now as you become bigger, you hit a certain threshold. You know, you graduate from using Square to maybe a real credit card account yeah. or a real bank. I mean, it, this trend is a common trend. It's not specific to cannabis. Yeah. You see what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's a common trend everywhere. Yeah, that's pretty beautiful. I've never thought of it that way. Um, and it perfectly, I feel, segues me to my next point. Maybe maybe not, uh, but, but I just read yesterday that, um, and I actually spoke to these people, uh, Elevated Remedy, who put in a application i don't are you familiar with them no 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 no, no. um they put in a application for yesterday's drawing oh the, the dispensary lottery yep yep the dispensary lottery and they tweeted yesterday well the drawing was today and we didn't win for the third time we started this process in 2019 and have invested so much time and money here it's just not going to happen here and then they tweeted this is interesting we decided that we put too much time and money into this. So fuck a license. We're opening just like in New York. Discord link coming soon with address and information. Why should they always win in profit? What do you think about that idea of a person just opening up a retail storefront? And the reason I'm asking you is because we're kind of sitting in one right now. Um, I mean, what I would say is... In other words, like what they're saying is not completely groundbreaking. Like these head shops are opening up and selling THCA flour. But like, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? It's pretty crazy to see them say like, hey, we put in for a license. J.B. Pritzker, they tagged him and IDFPR. We didn't get that license, but we're going to proceed anyway and sell cannabis. I mean, it, it tells me two things. First is license limits are not, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. And it may be a challenging enforcement mechanism because it becomes whack-a-mole. 
Now, what I would recommend to, uh, what were they called? Elevated concepts? Or? Elevated remedies. Yeah, elevated remedies. And, you know, they're welcome if you know them or they're welcome to reach out to me. Sure. You know, what we sell here is not apple, completely apples to apples to what's sold at a dispensary. Mm-hmm. Right? Imagine we're a liquor store and we don't have vodka. <laughs> yeah. We don't have vodka. Now we have rum, we have wine, we have Everclear, we have Jack Dan, you know, we have all these other things, but we do not have 100% of everything of what a dispensary has. And in fairness, a dispensary doesn't carry 100% of everything that we have, right? It's like right. if you go to a restaurant, sure, a Chinese restaurant and a Japanese restaurant both offer Asian food, <laughs> right. but there are certain things that the Chinese restaurant has that the Japanese restaurant doesn't have and the Japanese restaurant does that the Chinese restaurant doesn't have. Right. So what I would recommend to them is I would encourage them to look into this world of uh, hemp-derived cannabinoids and you may not be able to satisfy the vodka or the hardcore Delta 9, you know, Delta 9 concentrate dab user. Yeah. But maybe with THCA or THCV or a 0.3% slushy or some sort of a concept on that side, there's, a, there's other people. And then there's this whole world of kind of curious people that are interested and you could look and be legal using hemp derived cannabinoids to offer a similar experience, right? It's like just because you can't be a certain type, like just because you can't be a sushi restaurant because that's sushi. But even if you couldn't, you could be a sushi restaurant, why would you open the exact same thing right next to someone else? Right. right? Like if you look at food, for example, there's the sushi place. Then there might be the Japanese taco concept. Maybe they use sushi concepts, maybe they don't, right? Then there might be the tempura fried chicken concept. Mm-hmm. Then there's the ramen concept. So yeah, they're all Japanese food, but they're not the same. And people shouldn't be so segmented thinking, hey, I'm gonna get a dispensary license so I can open it. Because if you do that, you're gonna sell the same thing that everyone else sells because right. there are no craft growers out there. <laughs> right. And you're still buying from the same 13 or you know 13 MSOs that actually own the 20 light you know what I mean it's it's, mm-hmm. it's the same old stuff so yeah. take a what, what I would say is I mean yes you could do that and you could try to flaunt the rules I would recommend against that and I would say let's take a look at this hemp derived cannabinoid world there's an entire world that you can offer similar products right it's not exactly the same but there's enough overlap that you can you know, and the thing is, people get bored. People don't want to drink or eat the same thing day in and day out. Yes. People like variety. Mm-hmm. So you can come in, you can expand the market. You can offer some innovation or entrepreneurism to that. Make the world more interesting for everybody. And grow a nice little business or a big business, depending on where you want to go. Yeah. And help the industry grow. What are your thoughts on them? They said one of the main ways. I encourage them to look into to alternative cannabinoids or minor cannabinoids however you want to say it um hemp farm bill legal cannabis how about that i encouraged them to look into it and they were like yeah yeah for sure but what we're going to do is gifting what do you think about that because it is i've talked to several attorneys and even on the state of illinois website for the longest time they did say gifting is legal they just recently removed it i don't know why and maybe it was a mistake folks you can see our episode on that but the law says clearly that casual delivery is the the punishment for casual delivery is uh, possession of cannabis. And 
possession of 30 grams of cannabis is now legal. So have you, what is your like, have I mean, you talked I, to I legal don't know people about that? about those parts, sure. nor am I a lawyer. I would be concerned more about, sure, you're, you're casually delivering, but you've got a depot yeah. that, okay, you come down to 30 grams each, but if you're going to serve 100 customers in a day, that's 100 times 30, which becomes, what is that, 3,000 grams? Yeah. And 3,000 grams at about, call it 450, so 500 grams a pound, you got six pounds a day you're going out, and it's my understanding that holding six pounds of cannabis is against the law. Very illegal. So I was looking I, up the penalty, actually. I don't know, because I... More, so more than 2,000, between 2,000 and 5,000 grams, which I think is, you said 3,000 grams, uh, is a felony, three to seven years in prison, maximum fines of $2,500. Yeah, so Two, I... 20, 25,000, I meant to say, not 2,500. So, I mean, that's a little too risky for me Yeah. to do. I mean, you can, I mean, it's, you've remarked about THCA flour or something like that. I mean, that's legally hemp. And, and it's like what they sell at the dispensaries. Like most of the flour is THCA flour. If you look at yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you've got to just check the COA. And many of them, though, have delta-9 levels above 0.3%. Yeah. So that makes them marijuana oh, guess, yeah, and yeah. everything on that side. And, you know, it's just what the law is. But one can offer similar products yeah. without breaking the law. So I was, why break the law? But I was wondering, I just had this thought. There's the... Uh, and I'm not trying to call out names to get anybody in trouble. I love what these people do. But there's the Sesh Bus. Uh, there's Phil at High Minded Events. And they all do gifting. And I've always wondered, how do they get... Because like you just said, they've explained in an old grown-in article that I found that they would have their employees go and purchase their legal limit. But like you said, when it all comes back to the bus or when it all comes back to the event, who's in possession of that cannabis? And yeah, But they're I, doing it. I mean... Again, I don't know, and... Right, and I didn't expect answers today. Yeah, just I, I, totally. I don't have the... I mean, there's definitely ways to get away with it, I'm sure. Sure. And, I mean, it's no different than... I mean, the legacy market is still thriving and strong, right? Yeah. Isn't... I think is Illinois like a four and a half or five billion dollar market? Like, gross? Yeah. But legal is only 1.6 or 1.8, which yeah. means legacy is the other half, and that means legacy's bigger, right? Because... Yes. Four and a half minus 1.6 is more than 1.6. It's like two and a half or... Yeah, and I always like to bring up when people bring up the 1.6 number because people will say Illinois is doing things differently because we don't want to be like Michigan. Illinois in 2022 got like 1.6 or 1.7 billion in revenue. Michigan got 2.8. Okay, well, that's, that's good, right? Better. Better than us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got more, so... I just wanted to point it out there because a lot of people point to Michigan as a failure. They're like, well, they gave up too many licenses and everything failed over there. It's like, but if they're still bringing in more money than us, did they fail? Well, there is a reality that I think a lot of people don't recognize this, that cannabis businesses are really hard to operate. You know, you've yeah. got a lot stacked against you in terms of uh, the financial aspects and the legal and regulatory sides of the equation, and then the federal 280E. You know, I mean, like, the list kind of goes on and on yeah, and on stacks. and on. And 
there's definitely, I mean, on our side, we have not aggressively pursued being a regulated cannabis business. And we have found that we'd rather stay on the outskirts with hemp-derived cannabinoids and these miners because the regulatory cost just doesn't make sense. Yeah. In terms of, it's, it's just not practical. And the reality here, though, is you have to recognize that a lot of these cannabis businesses are not built to be businesses. They're built on the assumption that they're going to be bought in the future. Yes. Right? So it's a stock play. Yep. And you got to look at this where, you know, if I'm a hedge fund with $100 billion under management, and then I look at my asset allocation, you know, a billion or two goes to Cresco or to fund Kiroli for order, right? So they're my upside play. And what these guys do is they don't just fund one. Like the five hedge funds with $100 billion probably have gotten together, and they say, okay, well, we're each going to put a billion into cannabis. Yeah. So we're going to pick the five winners, Cresco, Caroleaf, GTI. And again, this is pure conjecture, right? Yeah. You know, and then we'll each put 200 million in all of them. And of those five, one or two of them will make it. And then they'll get bought out by Constellation Brands or some massive CPG. Mm-hmm. And they'll be worth, you know, if it's a billion that we're putting in, they'll get bought out for 50 billion or some crazy number. And, you know, that's a risk we're willing to take because we you know, the one winner will pay for the four losers yeah. that we have. So the reality is everyone's competing against them. And when you're competing against someone who doesn't have to make money, right. Not because they keep selling stock to investors or their investors are looking at more of a long range type of a target, you got to be realistic. And I don't want to make it sound like you can't be innovative or anything on that side. You can, but, it's really hard if, if you think about this, right? We all have the same costs yeah. as businesses, right? You got to pay people what you got to pay people. You got your cost of production. You, you all have the same cost. You all have this. Now, if somebody can sell something for, let's say it costs you a hundred bucks and it costs me a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. If you can sell it for 50 bucks because someone doesn't care because you've got an investor willing to subsidize you, but I have to, if it costs me a hundred bucks, I got to at least sell for a hundred if not higher. The consumer is going to buy from you. Yeah. Because the price is cheaper. Right. And you don't make your money in the same way that I do, so I'm going to have problems to play with. And that's one of those things. It's, it always blows my mind. You know, I talk to a lot of these people, and they're like, and, and I still don't understand how a social equity cannabis business model works because it's just, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And everyone I talk to, they say, yeah, it's going to be really hard. So I'm like, well, do you have an answer? It's like, no, it's going to be really hard, but we're going to try really hard. And that just seems to me, it's it's like, it, it just seems to be poor thinking. Yeah, I agree. Poor, I was going to bring this up. Like, I read an article, I think it was written two days ago by Green, Green Market Report. Uh, I think the headline is, Tough Times Likely Ahead for New Illinois Marijuana Shops. If people are wanting to look it up, I'll try to put it in B-roll. Um they described how it estimates from a Chicago-based cannabis consultant showed that uh, opening up a shop, just a retail shop, could cost between six hundred fifty thousand and one one point five million dollars. And then the sentence after that said, "And 
true social equity candidates are unlikely to have those finances. Is that what you meant by like, you've always just found it confusing? Like, how's this going to work? Cause if I could just quickly, I had in my, I, I had in my mind and even elevated remedies described it the other day. They had it in their mind that when they pitched this social equity thing, it was like, I had the idea that like maybe my pot dealer would have a chance like, you know, because he was affected by the war on drugs. Yeah, he didn't have as much money as everybody else does, but he was affected, and I, I was under the impression he would have a good chance of, like, winning. But, like, no, no. Why would I ever expect somebody? Like, like you have to be financially literate. You have to have investors lined up. Like, I don't think this was ever actually about giving the pot dealer you know, a chance. Is is that what you found confusing well, about it, it or was it something not, else? It's not about that. It's just people didn't think things through. So what you're dealing with, the, the, the reason why you can't fundraise. Oh, hold on. We'll stop for a second. Okay. So let's get back. Where were we at? Uh, you were social saying, equity. Yeah. The reality here is a regulated dispensary is like a grocery store. It is a packaged product play with a very limited consumer experience outside of maybe different color walls, artwork, or a couch. That's yep. literally, that's the world of regulated cannabis. At and least you, in Illinois. In, in Illinois today. Yep. yep. So if that's the place, what you have, and then, you know what, a lot of people say, I mean, these people say, oh, the MSOs suck. Eh, I mean, they don't suck because you got people who are working hard. You look at their Google or Yelp reviews, they all have, you know, four, four and a half stars or whatever. So, like, they're doing a decent job. And, you know, they're servicing a market. Sure, there could be slight levels of improvements, but, like, that's the reality. Yeah. So, you got to understand consumer behavior and how people are. I mean, it's human nature. We are creatures of habit. Yeah. So, let me ask you some questions. Do you buy groceries? Yes. Okay. What grocery store do you go to? Uh, like Schnucks or Meyer. Okay, Schnucks. Hey, how long have you been going to that grocery store? Five, plus, over five years. Five years. And when you walk in the grocery store, you now have a lay of the grocery store. So like, produce is one side, yep, yep. meats are here, prepackaged are here, bread's here, drinks here, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of mindlessly go through your routine and pick your stuff up. Yep. Now. In your area, has another grocery store opened in the last five years? I think yes. Have you even bothered to think about it or check it out? No. Why not? Because it's what I have is familiar. And in fact, when I go to other towns, maybe to make your point, I'll look for a schnooks because then I'm not like, where the fuck am I at? You no, know? It, 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 it's tough. It's scary. Yeah. So really, that's the cannabis dispensary business. So... If you're opening up a dispensary, everyone's got their schnooks yeah. equivalent, right? They've got their routine. Maybe, you know, the person says, okay, I go pick up my stuff on Thursday afternoon mm -hmm. because their job means, you know, the kids have extracurriculars. So the shopper stops at Target to go get whatever paper towels or odds and ends they need. Then they go to Mariano's or Kroger's or whatever the schnooks equivalent mm -hmm. is. They go pick up their stuff. And then maybe they have like a nice little bakery they like. So they go and get some muffins or fresh baked goods. Then they go to CVS to pick up whatever like medications or random things. And they go to the dispensary to go pick up their joint or their weed or mm -hmm. what. Like this is built into the consumer. Right. So that population is there. And the dispensary 
the MSO is not just going to roll over and say, oh, you just opened up? Well, why don't you have all my customers? They have loyalty programs. They market. They have bud tenders who have incentives and bonus programs and things in place. They offer good service to their customers. You know, like, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're trying to do a good job because everyone at their job wants to do it. They're doing all these sorts of things. So now if you open up as a new dispensary, why, what incentive does someone have to go check your thing out and yeah. give up all their loyalty points, their discounts, their guy they like, blah, blah, blah. And when they go to the place, they're still buying the same product because the dispensary is still buying from the MSO. Right. Because then you say, okay, well, I'm going to be a craft grower and I'll make something so amazing and different that no one's going to want it. But that's still not going to work because if your product is that amazing, the large dispensaries that have all the traffic will just pick it up and it'll be more efficient for you to do that than it would be to have your exclusive product at your vertically integrated dispensary to get people to come over. Do you see what I mean? It's mm-hmm. that. So the reality is, sure, it's half a million to a million and a half to open, but you've got, you need a marketing budget. Yeah. You need an operational budget. You're going to lose money. It's, it's like the restaurant business. Yeah. And restaurants lose money for their first two years before they get going. Yeah. And then they have to have like a fun and exciting and different concept. So if it's a restaurant with the same concept, it's going to lose money for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So now what you need is you need 3 to $4 million to do this and find out that it's not going to work. And the problem you have here is outside of what they call like friends and family, most investors are kind of smart because you don't become an investor with millions, tens of millions or hundred millions to invest if you're a more, you know, if you don't have a set of brains yes. in your head, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, what do they say, fool and their money are parted. So they know this and they look at this and say, this doesn't make sense. So really what happens is if you're a dispensary, then what you're doing is you're competing in what I call the 7% market. And what I call the 7% market means 7% of the U.S. population moves every year. Because the reality is the average person lives in a place for eight years. Yeah. Now some people live longer, some people live shorter. So you've got 7% of your population moving and only when you move, like how did you find schnooks you move to a place and you were in unfamiliar territory. Yeah. When will you look again for a new grocery store, really be on the lookout, is maybe you move to Saint, East St. Louis, maybe you move to Chicago, maybe you move to New York. Then your slate's clean and now you gotta go find where everyone is. Right. And you're now competing on that market. So now if you look at, what is it, 7% of the population, and then of the population that moves, or just the general population, only what, 10 or 15% actually consume cannabis on a regular yeah. basis? And I wonder, this probably makes it even more complicated, but what what faction of those people are coming from a market where maybe some of these brands already exist, if that would play well, into it? Well, so they might have an affinity, right? So sure. if I move, I've got a Cureleaf affinity. Right. So then I go here, and then I still have my Cureleaf points and stuff. So I'm going to give yeah. Cureleaf a shot because I've been buying from Cureleaf for the last two years. Yeah. And all my loyalty points are the people I know or the products I know, right? You're right. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if you move and you're familiar with going to Schnucks and you go somewhere else and there is a Schnucks, yeah, you're gonna are go. you going to go check that place out or are you going to go to like some unknown <laughs> right. grocery store you've never heard of? Yeah. I never thought about the 7% thing though. That's interesting. No, th- because, that's uh, that's yeah. the actual market. Yeah. So the only thing that gets someone to switch is if somebody comes up. It's like restaurants are the same thing. Right? What's your favorite type of food? Pizza. And in your particular locale, you've got probably your pizza place. Yes. 
do you ever think of any other pizza place out of your routine in your locale? I have pizza places, but yeah, I'm very, like, when people bring up new ones, I'm like, I don't know. I'm, you think about These it. are my trusty ones. Yeah, yeah, you got your trusty. Do you see yes. what I mean? Yeah. So then the only thing that will get you something new is all of a sudden if you heard that, like, I don't know, Mexican taco or yeah. Mexican wraps, it's a new thing. And it's like, it's not pizza. Right. It's Mexican tacos or, I don't know, Korean tacos or Ethiopian food or Indian so t- do you see what I mean? Yeah. Then it's like, okay, I got my pizza place. I'm used to my pizza place, but I've actually never heard of a... I don't have an Indian, you know, non-satay place. Yeah. I just... I, mean, I don't even know if that's <laughs> real food, right? Yeah. And you know what? I'll, I'll go check that place out because it's new and it's and everyone's raving about it. Or Do you see what I mean? Yeah. That's That's the reality of life and how people are in humans. I mean... The other example I always give, uh, credit cards. How long yeah. have you had your credit card for? Well, shit, uh, seven years probably. Exactly, right? Yeah. And you've got some Visa or a MasterCard yeah. that you've been using, and I'm sure you get so much mail about like the newest credit card <laughs> yeah. that's got so many more points. But or I'm just will, like, like, fuck this. Yeah. Screw it, right? Sometimes, but you're right. Maybe a situation comes up and it's like, this one has air, tra- air travel points. It's like, well, I am taking that flight soon. But it's very rare. It's very rare. Ever... And then think of all the times you think about it, but how often do you actually follow through? Correct. That's and change. Thing. Yeah. It's just, this is just a human nature yeah. problem that a lot of people don't fully, well, not a lot of people, many of these, whether it's social entrepreneurs, equity or new business people they just don't understand it because they just haven't been in business sure before and then this becomes well this is why there's the mso benefit or whatnot because a lot of these msos they started from people who were in business before yeah so that's the value of being in privilege right because like oh i was a, I think like the verano guy was like a he was like a big restaurateur yeah. Right or the Cresco people were like mortgage people. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So like they didn't just come from nowhere. I actually just saw a trash can that I think was related to the Verano people. Maybe I've got my names wrong. David Flood, Flood Brothers. Uh, they they were involved in cannabis. Maybe it's not Verano. Maybe, Maybe I, I I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't. I, I've heard it's of that. It's funny name, though how it's funny though I like look next to my car and I see a trash can, Flood Brothers, and I think cannabis. <laughs> no, I mean, it, but like you see, these people have. Yep. They they know that stuff. It's they just understand that stuff and. Yeah, I wanted to take a moment to clarify what I was referring to in this segment. First of all, I'll show you the photo because I took a photo. Here's the trash can that I saw that made me think cannabis, Flood Brothers. Now, why did this make me think cannabis? Is it because cannabis is trash in Illinois? Maybe. No, I'm just joking. Uh, no, the reason that I thought cannabis when I saw the name Flood Brothers is because of my research into the way that cannabis policy has been shaped in Illinois. If you'd like to see some of this research, we have episode number 232, which has a document that is in the episode description. It's got citations for everything that I say. I'm currently working on version two of this document, which will include some of the things that I'm about to talk about. Um, In March of 2021, I believe March 10th of 2021, The Chicago Sun-Times shared a news story that 
Jeff Cox, who was um, uh, working as the Illinois Department of Agriculture's chief cannabis regulator from 2016 until I think June of 2020, began consulting for a group, NMI Management Group, which was a consultancy led by Leonard Mahler and David Flood, who is a businessman tied to consumer or sorry, consume dispensary chain. So if you've seen the consume dispensaries, I believe that's tied to David Flood and PTS, Progressive Treatment Solutions, uh, the Cultivation Center in East St. Louis. Cox uh, was still heading the agriculture's department's uh, pot section when PTS and the state's other cultivators were awarded new licenses to grow recreational marijuana. I'm actually reading from the article in the Chicago Sun-Times. If you're wondering, I will display it right now. Flood also served until 2019 as the treasurer and principal officer of the influential and deep-pocketed Medical Cannabis Alliance of Illinois, which is now known as the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois. The companies he's aligned with have become huge campaign donors, dishing out a combined $139,000 in contributions, 5000 of which went to Representative Kelly Cassidy. Here's where Verano comes in. Records show George Archos, the chief executive of the massive Chicago-based pot firm Verano Holdings, was also an officer of NMI Management. However, Archos is no longer listed in the company's state filing. So that is one of the clearest connections I've seen of David Flood uh, to PTS and Verano. And so I just wanted to provide a little bit more information of where I was coming from with regard to that comment. If you'd like to read more, once again, that was a report on March 10th, 2021 by the Chicago Sun-Times. Author Tom Shuba, who has been on the podcast in the past, headline, States ex-pot regulators, comma, polls, are cashing in on the exploding industry. A proposed crackdown won't stop all of them. I'm displaying the headline right now in case my reading it was not clear or you weren't able to understand what I was saying. Um, so there's the headline if you'd like to look it up. That's the story. And back to your point of maybe this makes your point, maybe not. Just tell, correct me if I'm wrong. But when you ask, it didn't make sense. And like, what else? I felt like you're asking, like, what else did we expect? When you look at the people that have open doors and the fact that they are either MSOs, like Starbuds or whatever, or just very well connected people, like, should we be surprised (laughs) with how this was set up? Really, what the issue was is. The if when legalization first happened in January of 2020, there were lots of dead zones because at the time there were only what 55 medical dispensaries and everything on that side. Then over the past two years, another 55 were established, so many of the dead zones got filled in, and then relocation was allowed. So people moved from less than ideal places to more ideal places. And if you had a two-year window where you can find the 110 choicest locations, I mean, that's a huge leg up. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't any bad loca- There aren't any of those locations left. 
So if you look at like other new dispensaries, a few of them have opened and have been moderately successful because they found a dead zone, right? If you've been driving 50 miles or 40 miles to get to a dispensary, you will switch because no one wants to drive 40 miles if you can only drive 10 miles. (laughs) Right. Right? Right. That's a constant thing. So those people are looking. But what I'm saying is, and I don't know if we talked or I've, I've talked about this. I remember having this conversation with someone back in like 2020 or 2021. I assu- I said there's probably about 15 to 20 of these dead zones left in the state where if you build it, they will come. Yeah. And that was a year and a half ago. And, and do you think they're back up? when there were only like 50 or 60. And now with 120, they're probably mostly all taken up. Yeah. And then some have gone away. Like all those people along the Missouri border, right. their businesses evaporated overnight. Yeah. <laughs> once Missouri allowed for uh, legal rec, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if some of the dispensaries in Illinois saw their sales go down because. Oh, they ta- no, they tanked. It was. We, like I think I think I don't know if it's a send or someone else. Like, they have a dispensary in, like, East St. Louis that was the number one grossing dispensary across the entire yeah. state because everyone from St. Louis kept coming over. Yeah, you could see the sign from the arch, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like, oh, there's weed. And literally, when REC came over and legalized in St. Louis because the St. Louis taxes are significantly lower yeah. in Illinois, so, you know, your eighth in Illinois is, like, 70 bucks all said and done, and over there, an eighth was, like, 45 or 50 all said and done. Like... Everyone went over there, and then the joke was like, "Ha you Illinoisans are we're getting your cigarette business, your gas business, and your alcohol business. Now we got your weed business." Yeah, fuckers. And the, <laughs> the Missourians were happy as a clam. Yeah, yeah. So, it's I mean, crazy. those are the realities of all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of add this story to the podcast. It was recently reported on August 18th, 2023. Again, this interview that you're watching was originally recorded on July 14th, 2023. So this was reported a month after, but I feel like it kind of backs up what Charles is saying. So I wanted to share this news story. The headline is, Metro East Dispensary sees drastic decrease after Missouri legalizes weed sales. Beyond Hello was once the go-to dispensary for St. Louis without a med card. I don't know if that's how you say that. St. Louisians? I feel like that's Louisiana. I don't know. That's a weird. St. Louis? Never seen that written before. Two things come to mind when St. Louis think of Saugat, Illinois, weed and nightclubs, apparently. The small village directly across the river is the land of smokestacks, strip joints, and minor league baseball with a population of just a few hundred people. It's the unofficial playground of St. Louis, and before Missouri legalized recreational marijuana, Saugat was the unofficial destination for quality dispensary weed. That's funny. Um, But no more. Now Missourians can buy weed in their home state where taxes on the product are much lower. We spoke to, and this was, I'm reading this article from RFT Riverfront Times. They spoke to Trent Wolovchek, the chief strategy director for Jushi, Beyond Hello's parent company, about how things have changed for Beyond Hello's two dispensaries in Saugat, Saugat 2 near the river and Goose Lake further south since adult use sales began earlier this year. 
I'll stop reading after this because you can take a look at this yourself if you'd like. Uh, but I, I wanted to read this point. Have you noticed a difference in sales since Missouri began legal recreational marijuana sales in February? Answer, we actually saw a pretty drastic decrease in our sales from pretty much the onset. They say the good news is we've been able to work with our vendors and partners in the state to break down prices, pricing and keep, also keep products in stock and diversify our shelves. And I wanted to read one more question here. How drastic was the sales hit? Can you put it into numbers? We're a publicly traded company, so we don't report on a store-to-store -store basis. But overall, we saw a 30% to 40% decrease in our revenues. Wow. So to Charles' point, I wanted to share that story. Again, if you'd like to look it up, the headline by the Riverfront Times is... Metro East Dispensary sees drastic decrease after Missouri legalizes weed sales. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, hey, uh, just to wrap up, do you have anything that we didn't talk about today that you felt you wanted to mention? I, I mean, like I don't. I mean, we're just chatting, and sure. as long as you keep asking questions, I can keep talking. <laughs> cool. <laughs> You'll probably need to edit this thing down. No, no, I, I like to keep know, it all fresh. We, we've talked a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, this is... It's not the same cannabis market as it was three or four years ago. Yeah. What do you think your outlook is for the future with just getting through a crackdown? I don't see that issue going away. Sorry, which crackdown? The the, the cannabinoid crackdown that, that try, they tried to do in this last omnibus. What do you... I'm asking you a multifaceted question, so my apologies, but what do you... How do you feel about the future, keeping in mind what just happened and also just... You know what I've told you today with people just saying fuck it we're gonna open what do you how do you feel about the future well I mean I'm cautiously optimistic one of the things that I'm very open and willing to do is I want more of these cannabis licensees who couldn't get in to learn the path I'm going again maybe this is you know you say I have an abundance mindset but there's also a practical reality if it's just me against the MSOs I mean I'm just some dude They've got billions. I will yeah. die. <laughs> if I can get more of these, call it people that didn't make the dispensary business, we can help small businesses get in the business, people, social equity that got blocked out because for whatever reason they didn't have the insider connections or the millions of dollars to get up and running. I would like to get them into our business, into the cannabis or the hemp-derived cannabinoid business and in the industry to grow the industry for, I mean, it's going to help them, but there's also a selfish reason. Because if by next year, you know, you said the elevated solutions or whatnot, I'm sure for one of those people who are as crazy to, like, put a target on their back, there's probably 20 others who probably would have moved forward had they won a license. Well, if they see this as an alternative way and they're all in business and they're going to follow you know, good practices because they would have done it anyways to be a dispensary and then they can actually build businesses, build wealth for themselves, create jobs for the communities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these positive things that uh, ultimately create positive economic impacts for everybody. Yeah. That'll actually help my position because then it's not just, oh, it's Charles and a few, uh, Charles and Glenn and a few, call it weirdos or, you know, people that fell off the edge. It's now mainstream is recognized and this is an option and I mean in many ways even amongst the MSO community there are what's called second tier MSOs who yep. are getting blocked out by the Crescos and the Cureleaf and they should be looking at you know hemp derived cannabinoids I mean think about this right if 
there was Budweiser and Miller, I, I don't know alcohol, and you were like number four, why wouldn't you get into like seltzers mm-hmm. or, you know, like Budweiser is going to try to ban seltzers, right? Why wouldn't you do like a hard lemonade or a seltzer? Because that's going to help you get market share from a different angle. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Like we should let, I, I, I like innovation and competition because it lets other entrants come in and I want other people to get in the industry because yeah. it's going to make us all better. Yeah. Do you think it's inevitable, maybe this is our last question, do you think it's inevitable that some of these limitations I complain about, I don't want to say we're complaining about, uh, because I don't mean to loop you in with with how I feel about limited licenses, but do you think it's inevitable that these things go away, and, and what does it take? Because... You know, these companies refer to it as a regulatory moat around their business. They're literally, on quote, that's what Ben Kovler said. This is a regulatory moat. I don't think you're going to change out. the number of dispensary or Delta 9 licenses out there. I think what you're going to do is you're going to expand the market, right? So maybe it's one level of expansion is hemp-derived cannabinoids. Another one could be some other thing that we haven't even discovered that's going to come out and offer another effect. Yeah. Maybe it's a psilocybin. Do you see what I mean? It, it, it's ultimately what we're talking about here is it's not a market of intoxicating cannabis. It's a market of plant-based remedies and therapies yeah. that offer a variety of effects. Yeah. And just like how, like, there's enough vodka licenses out there. And the vodka guys have such a strangle on hold on that. But... People will want to try rum, they'll want to try whiskey, they'll want to try a seltzer, they'll want to try wine. You know, the list goes on and on, and the world hopefully will continue expanding, and then we'll have more consumer options, consumer choice, and many of the things that you're aiming for as a consumer to get more fun and excitement is going to happen, right? I mean, do we need another, like, there's a sushi restaurant in every corner now. Yeah. Do we need another sushi restaurant? Eh, probably not, but maybe there's other Japanese-inspired or Asian-inspired cuisines or fusions that... Yeah. We can go try. Like nowadays, I see Vietnamese coffee is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what is it? But apparently, it's kind of cool and different, and it's not sushi. Yeah. You see what I mean? So there is the Vietnamese coffee, or the, you know, Korean taco, or the Indian wrap, or you know, you know me being Asian, I just happen to know Asian sure. food a little better. <laughs> like there are all those options out there too that I'm hoping will occur and expand the industry and yeah. make things more fun and exciting and like creativity. Yeah. You know, make and us I, all better people. And I definitely am looking forward to like those types of things. But like, like I said earlier, really my focus is like, I feel like if we were sitting here right here in 1979 with Tommy Chong, if he was sitting right here and we'd be like, Hey dude, we're from the future. I know that's pretty trippy, but hear me out in the future. Cannabis is going to be legal. So you won't have to worry about that touring, but make sure you don't have too much on you. And make sure you buy it from the right place. I feel like he would just be like, and I use him as an example because people use him to to say like he maybe he brought cannabis to the forefront and could be th- we could thank him for you know the progress we've made because he took the risk so far long ago. So if we explained it to somebody like that, like this is what it this is what it's like. This is what you wanted, right? I feel like they'd be like. Nah, dude, I just wanted to not worry about going to jail for this shit. Like, I don't even necessarily want a store to go to. I just don't want to have to go to jail. And I, and I wonder, my question is, like, so we've obviously lost sight of that. Like, how do we get, I know this is a big question, but, like, how do we get the industry to, to bring that back into the forefront? Like, we're doing this wrong. So, so my counter would be Tommy Chong has a CBD brand. 
<laughs> he yeah. also has a Delta Ape brand. <laughs> yeah. And he's been looking at this more of expansive versus trying to be narrow-minded and trying to fix what's been fixed. Yeah. And you can say the same about Jim Belushi. Mm-hmm. You know, he does hemp, and he's doing hemp-derived in addition to, uh, you know, his actual cannabis stuff. Yeah. Um, that would be my answer. Yeah. And you I've know, asked it, him it, himself, it, and he yeah, it, it's ex- said it's, it's more expansion than it is to try to, like, fix what's happened. Because the problem here is, you know, you have people who've put a lot into it and they're not just going to they're not just going to let it go right, right. It, 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 think right. of it like taxi medallions yeah, yeah you got that's your taxi exactly medallions it. those taxi medallion people are holding on to it and they ain't going to let more taxi medallions in yeah so you expand the market with uber you expand the market with lyft you get divvies out there you get other forms of transportation you know you get subways you get better metro rails or you know all these are you get these car sharing programs mm-hmm and things like that to solve for things. Yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And it goes back to some of the analogies you made earlier uh, in our conversation where it's like, just because this happens here doesn't mean that that's what it's got to be. No. You know, you can evolve and take other paths. So Hopefully, yeah. It is interesting, but I will, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. it does sound depressing that you're just like, well, basically that you're like you're i agree with you i want to be clear i'm not like debating you right now like why would they give it up you've got a table with a lot of money on it or a table with less money on it you're going to pick the table with more money on it in other words why would you give up your taxi medallion right yeah well it's not just that it's either they give it up or competition comes in but again if i'm a competitor i gotta go like charge a deep moat that's been built up do you see what i mean yeah yeah and there's just much greener pastures for me to go against instead of getting bogged down in the yeah, for me to set up so i mean again this goes back to everyone's like oh we'll beat the msos because they suck they don't suck cresco has smart people that work for them gti has smart people that work for them cureleaf has smart people that work for them how am i going to beat someone who's got capital who's got resources who's got experience at their game what do i have that's so amazing and special we're buying from the same vendors we're you know mm-hmm. like our inputs are all the same yeah simple as that yeah and if i have some new vendor who i'm willing to take a chance on the minute i get any proof they're gonna go sell the same thing to cure relief anyways yeah so i'm screwed i mean it, like i might have a six month temporary advantage but it just doesn't make sense yeah well hey i'm excited because i'm going to be able to sleep soundly tonight not only because of maybe the products i'm about to consume but because i bought it from somebody that i feel I don't have like a conflict, a moral confliction. Like I, <laughs> look, I like to say this to people. I'm not holier than thou. I do go to Illinois dispensaries sometimes when I need to. Let me give you an example. Sometimes I'd like to get a cartridge and I just don't have anybody that I can trust to purchase off of yeah. but a dispensary. And it fucking sucks. Like not only to have to pay that price tag, but also to know that I'm potentially contributing to those companies' lobbying campaigns. Like, that doesn't sit well with me. So I wanted to say that for my audience that wonder. Like, I, I hope I haven't given off the impression that I'm, like, holier than thou. I go to... You sold out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I go to Illinois Dispensary you're, you're sometimes. You're just a normal person. Yes. We are all human beings. Yeah. And we're going to do what's best for us. Yeah. So I, I that was meant to be a compliment, but well, I ended up getting yeah, long-winded. No, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, thank you for yeah. joining me today. Thanks a lot for having let's me. Let's go have some fun here in Chaitiva. So yeah. F- folks, 
Tell, well, we said where Chai Tiva's at at the beginning of the show. Go to your local Chai Tiva. Enjoy the uh, tasty stuff they have. I think I'm going to get some flour and a few different snacks. So I'm really excited. I'll, uh, I'll share what I get after this uh, episode ends. Take care, everybody. Great. See you, Charles. Thanks a lot. Yep. As promised, I am back to tell you about the products that I tried at Chai Tiva, and I just thought I'd share a little bit about my general experience. So uh, I, as I told you at the beginning of this episode, I got several uh, samples of the THCA flower. I got the ZA, and I got the B4. I also got a pre-roll, but I'm not sure what it was, um, Like, but it, it smoked pretty good. And um, I just smoked it going down the street in Chicago because it's hemp and you can smoke cigarettes and it's a hemp product, right? I also got one of these uh, shots that they have. The camera is not showing it very well, but it says Chitiva Indica Shot, cherry, chill in a bottle. 50 milligrams of TH, it's a THC infused product, 50 milligrams apparently per bottle. I was told to mix this in like a, a soda because it's like a sweeter mix. So probably like a Sprite or something. This is kind of like a syrup. Um, so kind of interesting, 50 milligrams. And this is very similar, like I say, like I've been saying to something you could find in a dispensary. Uh, 50 milligrams of THC in this little shooter. I also tried, as you saw during the episode when he mentioned the muffin sampling, I tried some of their uh, baked goods and they were all very, they were very tasty. Um, there was this one called like Morning Delight or something like that. And it had pineapple and something else in it. It reminded me a lot of zucchini bread which is why I loved it. I'm a huge fan of zucchini bread. So it was really good. They also gave me one gummy, which I gave to uh, one of my friends who has a low tolerance than me, lower tolerance than me, because the gummy was like 30 milligrams or 20 milligrams or something like that. You know, it was a pretty good dose for a normal person. And that's why I wanted to give it to a normal person. And they told me, yeah, it, it felt like just an edible that they would buy from the dispensary. And that segues me into talking, I guess, about my experience there. I thought it was really cool to walk into this boutique shop you know i got id'd as if i was walking into a bar but past that it was like yeah kind of like a bar any other establishment that i've been in and it's the most normalized environment with cannabis i'd say that i've been in in illinois setting aside consumption lounges that i visited at this point you know uh this was a really cool it was cool to be sitting there speaking to Charles and in the background I could hear a person at the counter saying oh yeah um get me four gummies and a pre-roll and yeah you know actually I would like a muffin before I go since you've got a deal that if I get this I can get that for a discounted price it was weird to hear that because it sounded like I was in a dispensary it was cool to hear that. I don't mean to say weird. It was just like to hear that and to know that some people 
make it like a regular stop. That's at least what it sounded like when I heard some transactions as if they were pretty familiar with what they wanted and what they enjoyed. There were some people that were like, hey, what do you have? And they got a rainbow flight like I did. So they were sampling things, you know, trying to figure out what they wanted to buy a bigger quantity of, you know, but for the most part, I heard people that seemed to frequent uh, Chaitiva and I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe that was just, you know, my anecdotal experience. Uh, Charles did mention to me uh, either during the podcast or afterwards that it's kind of an even mix of regulars and new people. Um, if I'm recalling what he told me correctly. So I, I wanted to say that just in case my anecdotal experience wasn't completely true. In other words, you know, if it's not just people frequenting, you know, maybe it is just people like, hey, because the sign out front catches your eye as I displayed in the front of the episode. It's like, come in, get a slushy and get high or something to the something to that effect. Let me see what it says. Um, but yeah, you know, I... um had a really good time and I really enjoyed the products and I, Oh, the sign says, don't be shy. Come get high infused slushies for free. I mean, how are you not going to, and it's got weed leaves on the sign. How are you not going to go into that store when you walk by it? I mean, come on. And it's, uh, it's just very interesting that this is a thing and it's a thing that you don't see a lot of, you know, you certainly see these products on sale, at, uh, you know, your local head shops and gas stations, you name it. Um, but you don't see, you know, like literally when I was in the area and searched up dispensary, a few of the results that I got were like, I think it was either the green rose slash Ivy hall, maybe both. The, the, the point I'm trying to make is I Googled dispensary, you know, Google Maps, and I the results I saw were two what you would call legal dispensaries and Chaitiva. So I don't know, you know, if Google has Chaitiva categorized as, as a dispensary, but for all intents and purposes, it looks and feels like a dispensary, which is awesome. And I think more people should be operating under this business model it's completely legal. It's not a loophole by any means. It really feels like one, I will acknowledge, you know, um, but it's not. It's all by the color of the law. And in fact, you know, some of the complications I've heard from business owners like this or people that make products like these is is trying to remain in that box, you know. So one thing I asked was like, why am I not seeing cartridges on sale at some of these locations? And I was told that they're working on it, but the issue is, you know, you have a cartridge like this, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, like a vape cartridge, why did I not see any of those at Chaitiva or some of these other places? And I've been told that they're working on this, you know, some of the people I've spoken to have told me we're working on that, but the issue is you can make it and, you know, when you have the cartridge fresh, it complies with the law, but let's say it sits on the shelf for a month or two, and then you retest, what they find is that it's over that 0.3% threshold. And it's a remar it's a funny case where the product became illegal sitting on the shelf. It reminds me of, 
I don't know like if this is true or not. I can Google this right now. But I heard that during the prohibition days that they would say something to the like they would have something in the label like I don't even know how I would Google this. Something like, you know, this is grape juice. Don't like keep it for too long because then it's going to ferment and turn to turn into wine. Wink, wink. In other words, people would read that and be like, wait, this is going to turn into wine. I'm going to do exactly what this says not to do, and I'm going to keep it so that it turns into wine. Again, I might be getting the details wrong, and I might have might have been some told something that's completely incorrect. Literally, this information I'm telling you is from like, I swear to God, my junior high days. I don't even know if that's accurate. So look this shit up yourself. My point is it's crazy to think about. You put a product on a shelf and for a few days or maybe a few months or maybe a month, I don't know, for some arbitrary amount of time, it's legal in air quotes. But after that arbitrary amount of time and it, after it passed, it passes that arbitrary threshold, what is basically happening, folks, is you know maybe a, a cartridge is sitting on the shelf and sunlight shines directly on it throughout the day. Well, that could decarboxylate the concentrate that's in the cartridge causing those THC those THC levels to exceed 0.3. In other words, the THCA will have converted to THC um, via that decarboxylation process. Now, I'm no scientist. Look this up yourself, folks. But this is what I was told from business owners. Another, like I say, remarkable case of like, ha- what a fine line you have to it's a it's an interesting song and dance, and it, it all makes my point even more clearly. You know that it is the same thing, right? When you think about that example I just gave with the vape cartridge, if they if they can't figure out how to make it because technically what they're making is products that aren't legal under the farm bill, what does that tell you about all these products? Like if they have to like keep them in check. They're what I'm trying to say is they are the exact same thing. They are. And I mean when it comes down to brass tacks, they literally are. It's all cannabis. And that kind of goes back to the whole thing that I started with, which is that hemp is such an arbitrary definition and scientists I would like to think cringe at this, you know, because the way I understand it is that cannabis Cannabis is known as cannabis because that is the plant's genus. So if you guys know anything about biology, there's the term binomial nomenclature. And from what I understand, it's how all living things are categorized. Binomial nomenclature is the idea of genus and species. So two names to classify living organisms. And I'm a little bit outside of my understanding here because I'm not like a biological expert or I'm not a scientist by any means. This is also coming from like my high school understanding of biology. For example, homo sapiens are what we call humans, right? Homo being the genus, sapien being the species, cannabis being the genus, sativa being the species genus, species, binomial nomenclature, cannabis indica, right? So it's cannabis 
is cannabis, right? And it's just funny that we've made up. I know some people are like, Cole, get to the point because I'm high as fuck right now. It's hilarious that we've made up this legal definition. And I wonder if there's an analog. Like, I wonder if there's any other thing where like there's the scientific definition, but then there's like the, <laughs> I want to say the legal definition. Um, it's weird how, yeah, this totally conflicts with science like there's not a plant called hemp so i hope you're get what i get i hope you are getting what i'm trying to say i'm having trouble putting it in the way that i feel is um most understandable so i hope that you are able to understand what i'm trying to say i don't have much else to say at this point i hope that you enjoyed this episode and i hope that if you visit a shop like chitiva or uh yeah, a shop like Chaitiva or Chaitiva itself that you have a great time. Um, and let me know what your experience is like. I'd love to hear about more of these shops. I think that they should become more of a thing. I'd love to th- I'd love to see a combination of this with a consumption lounge. You know, since I've been visiting these consumption lounges lately, it's very easy to obtain a tobacco retail permit which is what allows you to open up a cannabis consumption lounge. Uh, you also need to get permission from your local board or you know people that zone you. Um, but those are the two things, which from what I understand are pretty easy to obtain. You know, it's pretty easy to obtain. It's very easy to obtain the tobacco retail license. It's pretty easy to obtain local, you know, support from your local municipality or board. Um, so I'd love to see a combination of a consumption lounge like I visited in Sessor, Illinois or in Harrisburg, Illinois. And if you've not seen those episodes, I will plug them in just a moment. I got to look up the episode numbers, but I'd love to see a combination of like a consumption lounge with some THCA flour and some THCA concentrate, THCA edibles, because that would literally, almost quite literally be a dispensary, you know, I really think that that would be fucking crazy. And if I might add, um, the combination of a restaurant and bar on site seems like just the secret sauce to uh, a fucking amazing establishment. So you've got a consumption lounge, a restaurant, and bar on site, and then you could sell those THCA products there. Basically also have a dispensary on site. So there is somebody that's kind of doing that, let's say, legally right now. By legally, I mean they have a dispensary license. They're not doing this whole THCA, uh, let's call it, you know, they're not selling hemp. I'm not going to call it a loophole because it's not a loophole. It's legal. So this guy, Scott Weiner, um, he is the co-owner of uh, OK Cannabis, and he has opened up a cannabis dispensary consumption lounge restaurant and bar all on the same side if you want to hear his perspective check out episode number 318 of the chillinois podcast the other episodes that i was just referencing at uh, where i visited consumption lounges are episodes number 315 with holly roeder and episode 316 with jonathan ruddick we also spoke to phil cooper and mindy moore in episode 317 about high-minded events. Now, high-minded events is not a consumption lounge, but it's usually consumption events. 
So you will gather at a venue and consumption will be allowed, consumption of some sort. So if you want to check out what I'm talking about, check out episode 317 to hear our conversation with high-minded events. And again, 315 and 316 for conversations at cannabis consumption lounges in the state of Illinois. Um, And then one more time for Scott Weiner, 318. He also has that cannabis consumption lounge. He is the person that inspired me, by the way, that that's the secret sauce. And the reason I say that before I let you all go is because I feel like if you're not getting money in from the consumption lounge or your dispensary, then you might be getting money in from your restaurant or bar. And it's good to not to have to rely on only one form of income. Like Scott, for example, it sounded like some people just go to the bakery that's on site. They don't even, some people may go to the dispensary, but some people don't. And it's cool that he has multiple forms of revenue. I say cool. He probably says great. It's great for him that he has multiple like lines of revenue coming in versus other people where they put all of their eggs in one basket. So consider that, you know, it's pretty easy to open up a consumption lounge. seems like it's pretty easy to sell these products. And I feel like this is a business line that is waiting to be uh, kind of franchised for lack of better words. Um, I don't think franchised is the word that I was looking for, but I just feel like there would be more of these businesses if people realized how easy they were to open. And I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I feel like people don't realize how easy these things are to open. Maybe I'm wrong and people are like, no, we realize how easy they are to open, which is why we're not fucking opening them. I don't know. I'm just saying you'd think you'd see more of these. And uh, I hope that we see more of these folks. That's all I have. I hope you enjoy this episode. We'll see you on the next one. Take care.